This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, June 16th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I think we were both in the same same boat. We're trying to stop sweating from a, a recent a recent the 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 workout to shower to doing the podcast sequence is always a nice like sweat box for a little bit. My house is not equipped for 99 degree days, Oof. which is what we're dealing with here in Chicago right now. So I've just been sweating constantly for the past like 48 hours. At least my air conditioning is working right now compared That's, to the last heat wave that we had. So yeah. that is a slight improvement. It's never good when Chicago has the same temperature as Vegas. Like that's not that's not what you want to see if you're a Midwest resident. No, it has not been fun. <laughs> we planted a bunch of stuff uh, this weekend. It's been fun trying to keep it alive through this over the last couple of days. So just, it's always something. It's always something. It's my wife's All struggles. Right. <laughs> Speaking of June in Chicago, it's yeah. June in the NFL schedule as well. And you know, we we're thinking about what we wanted to do uh, over this stretch. And one of the ideas that you and I have been kicking around was about Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Funny yeah. enough, you wrote about both guys for The yeah. Athletic. Synergy. <laughs> and as we were kind of kicking this idea around. And I wanted to talk about both of them because I think that their franchises in some ways, the Cardinals and the Ravens, are kind of at a crossroads in a few different areas. They're going to have to decide very soon whether or not they're going to pay these guys. We can get into that. We can get into some of the particulars of that. My assumption is both of them will get paid sooner rather than later. You heard Cliff Kingsbury say yesterday that he's praying that Kyler's deal gets done before training camp starts. Not sure the uh, cap guy or the contracts guy is thrilled with Cliff doing yeah. that right now. Not a good way to maintain public leverage. Anyway... I assume the Cardinals are trying to get this done if the coach is openly saying that. Steam Kive has said multiple times that they're hoping to get it done this summer. The Lamar situation has always been a little bit strange. He's negotiating this on his own yep. based on his success. I mean, winning an MVP award feels like they probably would have gotten this done last summer. They still have it. My assumption is they will get it done. But both of these guys have had really high highs. Obviously, we've seen an MVP award from Lamar Jackson. Even in 2020, the Ravens passing offense was still pretty darn good. With the Cardinals, the highs have been half seasons long, four or five week stretches where Kyler Murray looks like an MVP level player, which he did for the first half of last season, and then they inevitably decline. So I wanted to talk about those peaks and valleys, what each of these guys can potentially do this year to avoid that backslide that we've seen from them, whether it's over multiple seasons or within a given season. And then what's next? What is the next phase of the offense and just the overall plan look like after each of these guys potentially gets paid and the team weighs how much to pay them, whether or not to pay them, all of those considerations. I think that these guys are in very similar spots and there's a lot of similar stuff to chew on with both of them. Yeah, it's similar spots and both just such unique players. Exactly. With, and that is what makes the arguments for and I guess against them, I guess against paying them. So I would say interesting to talk about and fun to talk about because you can argue it in so many different ways. And But what's cool about these guys is that even if they did have their blemishes maybe last year or, or a little bit of fall off last year, is we've seen the highs like you mentioned. Yeah. Like Lamar's highs, like not even just talking about Kyler, but Lamar's highs, I mean – the, going, breaking down the stats and having access to true media has made me turn me into a, a monster. You're, you're a monster now. I absolutely oh. love it. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, creating formulas in there. It's it's actually been a lot of fun. But uh, the like highest EPA per dropback since 2019. A lot of the stats I'll bring up today, and this is what I did for the article, uh, just kind of like a disclaimer, is quarterback seasons with over 300 attempts, typically through 2019 for Lamar, 2020s uh, for Kyler, because Kyler's rookie season I threw out. Lamar has been starting full-time since 2019. But that MVP season, his EPA per dropback was 0.34 which is the highest since 2019 for a season, a single season. That's 0.06 better than Rodgers in 2020. That's better than any Mahomes season since 2019. Like that high, we always have to keep into context. Even just like a counting stat, like uh, his TD percentage was like 9.0. Yeah, only three players since uh, 1976 have cracked 9% TD percentage uh, for a quarterback. Peyton Manning in 2004, which I don't know if you guys know this, was Quite a year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> going back and looking at that season, that 2004 Peyton Manning season is always like, holy shit, you were 2004 good. was just a fun year in general. That was an yeah. awesome Culpepper, Culpepper year. It was a really yeah. fun season in the NFL. Yeah, Culpepper broke the total yards record. Yeah. And then Aaron Rodgers in 2020 had 9.1%. Aaron Rodgers in 2011 had 9%. And there's Lamar Jackson 2019 at 9%. It was a historical year as a thrower. And that doesn't even get into him as a runner which is just dynamic. I mean, we all know this. Truly, truly all-time runner of the football at any position. And same with Kyler. We've seen these half seasons, the last two seasons, where it's, man, uh, we talk about creating and getting a bucket. Kyler's one of the best at doing that. And it's just such a fun, it's interesting because he's so, he is so small out there, but then he plays such a big game. You know, he he attacks down the field. He's running away from guys. He's willing to scramble up through the middle and then try and squirt out of bounds. Like that, those highs is that we always have to remember because there are some lows and there are some negatives. And then we, we really did get to see that really in the second half of last season for different reasons. I mean, but one kind of common theme with the Cardinals and the Ravens was injuries other than bird mascots. But it was <laughs> it was <laughs> was was injuries. And that is something that we we'll have to keep in, in, in the back of your mind when we're talking about these guys in 2021. Let's start with Kyler, because that's how my notes are structured. Perfect. <laughs> Alphabetical. Good. All right. You mentioned it. You look at you split the season into two halves. Yeah. First half of the season through week nine, which is right before he got hurt. Second in EPA per play. Matthew Stafford was the only one ahead of him over that stretch. Weeks 10 through 18, which does include him missing a few games Mm -hmm. and also includes Hopkins being injured, which we'll get into. 18th in EPA per play. It's a pretty big gap. So for the first half of the season, looked like potentially the MVP of the league for the second half of the season, middle of the road quarterback. Let's start with the good. Let's start with what the Cardinals offense looked like for the first half of the season when he looked like perhaps the best player in the NFL. If you were trying to just list off the hallmarks of what that offense was over this, that stretch of time, what would they be? Letting your best players make plays. Yeah. And that is, it's football at its simplest. We want to talk about design and and I know I'll, I'll talk about cool design. Really football comes down to what's my best one-on-one? What's my best matchup? Can we get that ball to that one-on-one? And for better or for worse, this is going to uh, a good example of kind of like the strengths of this and the negatives of this is the Cardinals emphasize that. And Kyler especially emphasizes that he has a one on one with DeAndre Hopkins and they, they like to get into three by one formation. So three, three guys to one side trips to one side and ISO up the other guy. They go left and right. So Hopkins is almost, you know, 90 plus percent on the left side. AJ Green is the outside receiver to the right side. They will take those one on ones. 
Kyler throwing deep balls, he's one of the best at throwing those deep balls. Like that is what he does best is attacking down the field along with running, uh, running, the running of the football. I want to say, yes, his EPA since 2020 EPA per attempts on 20 plus yard air yard attempts, 10th, just behind Patrick Mahomes. He is very good at this. So when they, when, especially when Hopkins was healthy, because that's going to come to the negative of all this is when Hopkins was healthy. Kyler's EPA per dropback was as good as Aaron Rodgers, who won MVP last year. When Kyle or when DeAndre Hopkins was out, that EPA per dropback was the same as Davis Mills. It that is drastic, <laughs> and that really gets into what the negatives. I know we're talking about the positives, but the negatives too is that when you take one on ones, you have to have better players. And when your best player, your best weapon is out, and it's Antoine Wesley running those go routes and stop routes on one on ones, and Kyler's taking them it looks a little lesser. <laughs> and I think we saw that in the second half of the year. I was shocked. I went back and we'll dig into some of the more of the yeah. numbers here, but there was a play. I think it was in week one where Hopkins just ran a little curl and caught. It was like an eight yard completion and he spins on a dime, makes the DB miss and turns it into a 17 yard touchdown. That happened a lot. Yeah. In the first half of this. He's season a hard tackle. He's, he's a un- really hard t- underrated that in that regard. I, he's I, much better after the catch than you might think, because we yep. think of him as just this spectacular catch guru, which he is. But yep. he's able to make some stuff happen after the catch in a way that I think is underappreciated. So that happened a decent amount. And there are examples. Uh, the game I rewatched that really said this to me and really think it was a really good reminder of this. When they do do some weird stuff. When they do have guys lined up in untraditional places for them. There was a play against the Rams where Hopkins was lined up on the right side instead of the left. They were in a heavy personnel package, so not their traditional 11 that we see them run a lot. And he just ran a corner out on a play-action throw. That doesn't seem like that big of a wrinkle, but for them, that's a wrinkle. And it's a huge completion, and it's a chunk play. Later in that game, they're an empty. They have A.J. Green lined up in a stack with the running back on the right side, and he's technically the number two receiver. And he essentially bends his route outside before cutting it back in, and because of where he's lined up as the number two guy, he immediately has leverage on that outside corner and cover three, Mm -hmm. and it's a chunk play touchdown. And it's just little tiny things. When you're just playing with these things in small ways, you can get those sort of plays. They just don't do that very often. So often... They're lined up in these static ways, and I think that's what's really frustrating is that when they do put little spins on it, it feels like they get really good results from it, but they just don't do it often enough. Yeah, and the heat maps is hilarious. If you look at DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green's heat maps, it's just right on the left sideline and on the right sideline for each each guy. And I agree, if you and, – and writing for The Athletic – because I have to use still shots for all 22. So I, I use a lot of NFL tweets. Welcome. I, yes, uh, that's the legality that I have to go through. So if anyone's wondering why you don't see a lot of film clips on there, that's why. But when I was you know searching through the NFL highlights uh, from Kyler, you would see a touchdown of Christian Kirk where he's lined up as the right outside guy. You would see DeAndre Hopkins lined up in the left slot. So speaking to what you're saying, it was when they would – put a little in usually was in the red zone or a third down play where they had to adjust something. And it's like lean into that a little bit more on first and second down or yeah. not when it's in, we're not just a one-off play, do it every week, week in, week out. And this is where I, I've, it, you always want to put your players as a coach, as a play designer, you want to put your players in the best you know position to succeed. And AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins are two of the best outside kind of like ISO ball guys, the vertical 
vertical stemming routes, stops, goes, posts, comebacks, you know, stuff that just goes straight ahead. DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green are 13th and 14th in targets and on goes and posts from the outside. I know it sounds specific, but that kind of like narrows down what they're running. Hopkins has the second best EPA on those types of targets, right behind Mike Williams. And since 2019, AJ Green, this past year, he was in the uh, he was 16th in the NFL on those on EPA per play. They're good at this. Like they're very and this is that good. Vers- this is this version of AJ Green. This yes, is 2021 AJ Green, 33 year old AJ Green, and then we're going to talk about that about 34 year old AJ Green coming back in 2022 and being like <laughs> a main target guy for them. But it was like, yes, that's the strength of this offense. But then you get into Kyler's limitations off of that. He likes to sit those outside ghosts, those one on ones. When those are taken away, when Antoine Wesley is running the go route, the stop route one-on-one, and Kyler has to read stuff out over the middle, they'll take the one-on-one route, and they have a three-man combination of some shape or form that they'll run with the three-man side. Kyler's not very comfortable attacking that. If it's zone, he is. But if it's man coverage, he really struggled against that. He had the second fewest attempts over the middle against man coverage in 2021 since, 20, since 2020. So the last two years, three years, I should actually say. In 2020, he had the six views. He is not a guy that's going to attack over the middle of the field, especially against man coverage. He just doesn't see that. He doesn't see the guys coming. That's where the height comes into play. He also is, he, he was dynamic against blitzes. He was, you know, his 0.32 EPA per dropback with five or more pass rushers is eighth since 2019. Like he, I have all these stats from this article, guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> spilling these all out. You guys are getting the full blunt of this. I am so sorry for all the listeners. I, I, I should never have given you access no, to true no. media. But it's so great because now I have eye tests and then I just could back it up with like a little slap some EPA on it. But, you know, but this all matches what you see. Kyler will attack you down the field. But a lot of times when defenses adjust, that's why I think this has happened the last two seasons in the second half of the season. Defenses go, oh, this is what you guys are going to do. Okay, we'll take that away. Then we don't see that next step from Cliff Kingsbury or Kyler. So it's kind of a column A, column B type of thing about where these struggles are coming from. What did you see there? What did defenses specifically start taking away that you feel like they struggled to adjust to? They, They stopped blitzing. They started just rushing four. So, and they were just sitting, they would run man coverage and they were like, okay, if Kyler wants to scramble, we'll let him scramble. But it really seemed to me that they started rushing four, just four pass rushers and making Kyler be patient as opposed to, I look at my one-on-one, the one-on-one's not there and I have to read out the zone. I think the, the Seahawks game in week 17 or week 18 was a great example of this. And Kyler would look at the one-on-one, see Antoine Wesley out there and go, oh shit, now I got to read out Ertz and Christian Kirk and what, what's going on right here. And then Kyler would scramble. And when Kyler gets banged up, you know, he's not maybe not as willing to take those hits, maybe not as willing to take more of those scrambles. And so all these plays kind of became chaotic. And I saw that kind of happen more and more. When they, they I would say it was about the same number, about four pass rushers with and without Hopkins. But his EPA per dropback dropped from 0.1 to negative 0.1. He he like significantly got worse when defenses were like, we're not going to attack you. We're going to make you be patient and we're not going to let you hit us over the top. So I see all these numbers kind of drop off. It was really what a lot of happened to a lot of quarterbacks in 2021 is defenses got patient against them. And same thing happened to Kyler. They made him be patient. They made him read stuff out. They made him trust things on time. His pocket movement got a lot better. That's why he improved against zone but he had a lot of weaknesses against man coverage and especially, and this makes sense without Deandre Hopkins. If you look at their numbers from the first half of last season, he was 12th in the NFL when team in EPA per drop back, when teams rush for yep. 12th, you know what I mean? And it's good. It's 
pretty yeah. good. But it's not the MVP that we saw. He destroyed blitzes yes. over the first half of the season. By far the most effective quarterback in the NFL over the first half of last year when teams blitzed. So I went back and I watched most of those plays from the first five, six, seven weeks yeah. of the season. And what you see is, like the play I alluded to earlier with the Hopkins touchdown, where he turns it into a touchdown. There is a play where he just throws a smoke to A.J. Green and it turns into a 14-yard touchdown. Hopkins had another one of those where he just catches a now route and turns it into a touchdown. The huge Rondell Moore touchdown, I think it was against the Browns at 77 yard. Mm -hmm. He's just running around, just running around and throwing the ball. Rondell Moore had several huge plays in the first month and a half of the season that were not within structure whatsoever. So if you the numbers in terms of how far Kyler was throwing the ball downfield against the Blitz in the first half of the season wasn't very far at all. He had one of the lowest A dots in the league against the Blitz. Guys are just making plays. And then they're sprinkling in one monster, I'm going to run around for four seconds and then chuck the ball play every single game. That shit's not sustainable. No. It's not. The other guys that were near the top of the league, Mahomes, for example, Mahomes has the quickest, I think outside of Ben Roethlisberger last year, Mahomes had the quickest time to throw against the Blitz in the NFL. That's consistent. Like What Mahomes is doing against the Blitz is a process-based thing where you're torching people. Same goes for Matthew Stafford last year. There's no out of structure. We're getting these crazy plays. And Especially it's not with Stafford. Lot. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. and I, th- those guys were from the gun to the end, the best guys in the league against the Blitz are in the top three. Kyler significantly fell off because I think a lot of the things that they were doing and a lot of the success they were having in that realm wasn't sustainable. And this goes back to a conversation we've had about the Cardinals for years. And when I went back to watch, I wanted it to be more than oh, Kyle was just making plays, or Hopkins is just making stuff happen on the outside. And then you go back and watch, and it's like, that's kind of what it is. is. (laughs) I know. And Now now you remember the source of the jokes. Like It's like, oh, yeah, this is why we made those jokes. (laughs) And I want it to be more complicated than that, and it's really just not when you boil it down. In these moments where it's – they're unstable environments, they're unstable situations where they were really, really good over the first half of the year. And some of that is based on skill set, right? If your players are better, you can make that happen. You can – create advantages you can really hone in on that stuff and just hammer them over and over and over again when one of those advantages is out for half of the season and the other one your quarterback whose success is at least somewhat predicated on his ability to extend plays is hampered and can't move around the same way then your superpowers just get totally zapped and you look extremely human and extremely mortal because you don't have any other answers and i think that's what's happened to them and what happened to them over the second half of last season. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And that's where some of the frustration comes with is that, and I, I even said this in an article where I, I was getting negative on Kyler going like, hey, you got, hey, NFL quarterbacks have to make these throws. But then this is where it comes on the coaches. This is where it comes on the play design. Hey, we all know DeAndre Hopkins is not playing. Change something up. Put AJ Green on the left. Let him be a true X where he's, the, he's always going to be the lone guy, left or right this lack of adjustment from them and a lack of, you could see Kyler go. It was really, I don't say fun, but it's interesting always to watch like where you watch a game a month, game in September, game in October, game in November, December, maybe a playoff game and watching Kyler go from, Oh wow. Look at him bouncing in the pocket. You know, look at it. He's really trying to move in the pocket and, and adjust his arm angle. 
to the playoff game against the Rams or that Seahawks game where he's just right away going, oh, one's not open. Screw this. I'm going to go run around. Like he was trying to be the more true quarterback. I really want to say the first few weeks, he still had his creation plays, like you said, but you could see him just hitting that escape button as quick as possible. And I think it's because he just was like, screw this. I, I got nobody else open. Like this is all the numbers. It was drastic with and without DeAndre Hopkins. Like even this is where this kind of speaks to like Cliff Kingsbury is that their amount of early play action percentage dropped by 15% uh, of their play calls about four, like they were running it about, you know, five, six, seven times a game. And they're only running it once or twice with DeAndre Hopkins out. How are you making your offense harder without your best receiver in there? Like, shouldn't you make this easier for your quarterback and your whole offense? Cause they had the line injuries as well. So just speak to me about a lack of adjustments throughout the season, which has happened now more than one season with the Cardinals. The O-line thing compounds the problem because yeah. if he, especially in the back half of the season when they were a little bit dinged up, when you don't have the easy answer immediately and you have to go back to that three receiver side and start to read stuff out, but you also can't protect, yeah. then you're in really big trouble because you don't have the instant answer yeah. and your offensive line is bad. When I went back and watched the Rams playoff game, it was watching the Rams week four game and watching the Rams playoff game and the distance between yeah, what you teams. see in both of those <laughs> games. It's drastic. It's kind of yeah. wild to watch back to back like I did. When you watch that game, he's under siege. Yep. He didn't play well, but he's short circuiting because they just have nothing there. The right he made a couple of throws. Buried. Yes. I mean, the right side of the offensive line, they, oh. they put them in tons of stunts. Yeah. They consistently made it hard on them, and they just had no answers. That's not going to change. Nope. That's the problem, is that yep. with the Ravens, we'll get to this. Yeah. I think protection is a huge part of why the Ravens started to struggle last year, especially against man coverage. Yes. Because when he's waiting for stuff to come open, you couldn't wait for it to come open last year because of how bad they were up front, just how dinged up they were. Yep. They made significant changes to that group. The Cardinals did not. Mm -mm. So this issue that you have when I don't have the immediate answer, can I read stuff out and trust just the structure of the play? It's harder to rely on that when you don't have faith in your protection and you don't have faith in your ability to have time to read that stuff out. Yeah. So it's an, kind of a dour way to get into this question. But if you were trying to fix some of these things for 2022 and you were trying to figure out just how this can look better and what needs to improve, where would you start? Uh, get Kyler on the move a little bit more. Help out that offensive line, not just nakeds and bootlegs, but sprint outs. Just a simple sprint out. Make Let your offensive line and let Kyler, let him take a breather, a mental breather. Let him, you know, have, we, I, I mentioned before, is Kyler with the height, he's just like Russ, uh, Russell Wilson where anything past five yards over the middle of the field, they have trouble seeing. And Kyler, it's eye test and, and statistical test. He is not attacking past five yards. He's gotten a lot better on the five yards and inside because he can change his arm slots better than Russ can. But get him on the move so he can just half field read it, or if he doesn't like anything, can scramble with it. Get Just get him moving. Get a little more of that um, changing the launch point is what they like to say and, and making it easier on the offensive line as well. I would say that would help. I would also say change up your fucking look every once in a while <laughs> stop going three by one every snap and running the same five plays over and over snag mesh uh you know vertical vertical routes way too many screens they have a good run game which has actually been an interesting thing i would say in a, like a, a, an efficient run game Kyle, having kyler helps 
but lean into that more. Lean into the play action looks off of that more. Tie everything in together. To, to me, it seems like Cliff and the Cardinals staff like their ball plays. Like they're like, that's a cool play. Let's run it. As opposed to tying all their ball plays together. And so it has some, you know, like merging some synergy uh, with everything. And I think that's what would really help them. You know, just really just throwing a little, little change-ups as opposed to, I mean, the Bears game was a good example. Every third down, they ran mesh, which worked, which worked against the Bears. But as soon as you're trying to do that against maybe a competitive team like the Rams, they're on your shit. So you got to change up these looks. You have to adjust week in, week out. And I think Kyler has to continue what he was trying to improve upon that first half of the year, where it's hang in the pocket. I know I know the offensive line is leaky, but trust yourself. Try to get the two before you start scrambling around. And also, you know, try and work onto those seam balls. Like start honing everything inside with where you're trying to attack down the field. Because if you look at their heat maps, it's go balls, screens. That is the offense right now. And Kyle, run around, do something funny. So they need to just become more of a true offense, a true quarterback play. Snag is a three-man concept where there's a corner route and then yep. there's a little sit route from Thank an you. outside receiver who sits down, not over the middle of the field, it's like just to one side. Inside that hitch. Is, that is the throw he makes. Yes. In that th- he throws that snag all the time. All the that time. little inside hitch he throws all of the time. It's yep. really one of the only throws he makes when he's reading out that three-receiver that three yep. receiver side. He does it so often. It's really funny that you said that because I noticed it over and over again. But they love running it. And so he, yeah. go, he goes one-on-one, snag, and hits the, hits the snag right away. Yep, he, he loves throwing that. I've been talking to a lot of coaches over the last few days for something I potentially am going to write, which is a fun <laughs> surprise. And one of the things that's kept coming up is just about how you can't predict where receivers are going to line up anymore. Against really good offenses, there's just no way to do it. Guys are going to move around. Yep. And so you need a plan defensively for figuring out where a team's best receiver is going to be. Can't just leave a Jalen Ramsey on the outside if you're going to play a team with a Devontae Adams and he's playing in the slot 38% of the time. Most good teams do that. You know, think about where Cooper Cup lines up. Justin Jefferson spends a third of his snaps in the slot. A.J. Brown spends a third of his snaps in the slot. The Cardinals don't do that. and At all. It's, you're making it too easy on really, really good defensive teams and defensive coaches. Teams are too good now. Defensive yep. coaches are too smart now. If you're going to give them the answers to the test before it starts, you're just really relying on your talent. And every once in a while, this team has enough talent at the receiving spots and at quarterback for it to win out, but you're making the game harder on yourself. It's just an uphill climb that you don't need to do. And that Rams game, again, just keep coming back to it, those little tiny wrinkles. They had a play where they it was a three-by-one where Edmonds worked back outside. It was like an out and up against Reader from the backfield, and it was a beautiful throw. It was a beautiful throw that he ultimately dropped, but Kyler can make those throws. Like if you give him a mildly tweaked one-on-one opportunity, he's one of the best pure throwers in the NFL. You don't have to give him a huge window. You don't have to give him a ton of daylight. Just put a tiny twist on something to make it a little bit less predictable. And if it's a 50-50 ball, he's probably going to put it in a better spot than most quarterbacks on the planet. But they just don't happen often enough. They're saying our guys are better than yours, and that's really, really not going to work that much in the long run. Yeah, they, there's a clip against the Cowboys. He throws a deep, they run a dagger, which is a seam with a deep dig behind it. 
and it's I think it was a third down or a second and long, and the Cowboys run Tampa two. Dagger is a great Tampa two beater because the Tampa player on defense has to run vertical with the vertical route, and then you run a dig behind it. The Tampa players run down the middle of the field. Yes. So you're going to a ton right. of depth there, so the digger yeah. will theoretically it, come in shallow of that. And it was Micah Parsons, I think, was the Tampa player, and he has no idea what he's doing as a coverage guy. <laughs> so he's just running blind like, yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, there, <laughs> there comes A.J. Green. Dig right behind it. Kyler steps up in the pocket and throws it and converts it. It's beautiful. It's right on time. It's in there. Like it's it's in his realm. Like he can do this. So this is the I, I'll say this: Is it can or won't thing? Is it do they do not do it because he can't do it or they won't call it? And to me, it seems like they just won't call it. And maybe it's they something they see in practice, but it's it's in there. And so I just think they just have to change up how they attack these defenses. This. This is my, uh, my last stat. Uh, this is the last stat I'll bring up. Just <laughs> EPA throwing to the left. This is with DeAndre Hopkins, 0.68 throwing to the left. Super high up there. That is a ridiculous number, 0.68. Without DeAndre Hopkins, negative 0.1 throwing to the left. Those four games without, without DeAndre Hopkins. The fact that you can't even just throw to one side of the field because you refuse to change up where you're attacking defenses, it doesn't work anymore. The, the only offense that I could think of back in my mind that kept their receivers in the same spots every time was the freaking 2000s Colts with Peyton Manning because yeah, Peyton he... wanted, every, wanted everything to look the same. He's a freaking machine. Like every ball was perfect. Every ball came out on time. Every ball went to the right spot. Yeah, you can do that when you have two all pro receivers, a great tight end, Dallas Clark, and a all, you know one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You have a robot. You have a quarterback robot. You can play the game that way. The ball goes to the same spot every single time or right spot every single time. When you have Kyler who's, you know, ad-libbing a little bit you're you're, you're gonna have injuries in the, in the nfl make it hard on the defense that scrub that they just signed that's playing corner for them make it hard make him think the, the nickel that's played 20 snaps in his nfl career make him think rather than just go okay they're three by one i know where christian kirk's gonna be he's no longer there but i'm talking about 2021 christian kirk's gonna be right here in the slot every single time i know that tight ends could be right next to him i know this every single snap you're not mentally straining them at all and that's where the frustrations come from with this offense how do you think Marquise Brown fits into what we're talking about right now? Uh, terribly, uh, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, with Hopkins is missing the first six games because the PED uh, uh, suspension. Brown is probably going to line up on the left where Hopkins is if they don't change anything. And then when Hopkins comes back, he's going to line up in the slot. De uh, uh, Kyler likes his one-on-one -on -one opportunities. He likes letting his guys post up. He likes them being basically low post players in the NBA, just drop step and dunk on guys. I don't know if you know this, but Marquise Brown's pretty small. <laughs> um, Brown's best snaps are working from the slot. I think I think he should be used how he's used at Oklahoma. Slot gets his free releases, can attack vertically. The way they use Christian Kirk. Wait, exactly. Well, you got six games where he's going to be on the left side. They'll probably have Rondale Moore in the slot. Uh, but then also your how they use Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk was very good at settling into spaces, kind of being a big body. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call Christian Kirk a power slot. I would call him more of a uh, medium slot. <laughs> but working like working those intermediate areas. But Brown is just smaller, so I don't know. I think I think Coward does better with big targets because he likes to give contested ball situations. So it's a weird pairing for me. They got to make sure that he goes on the move. I did some breakdowns and I I, I know I, I said that was my last stat, but the one with like with Marquise Brown, it's like he those stats that I brought up about AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins being so good on those outside going post routes. Hollywood ran about the same amount, but he was like 
I think he want, I want to say that he was average in EPA per target on those routes, below average. He was like barely even, yeah, he, he was 0. 0.0. <laughs> he was zero. He was, that was his EPA on those types of routes. So it's not like he's coming in and, and going to bring this dynamic threat right away that we think he had his best season, a thousand yards, but that was more just a target share. So I don't know, long way, long winded way of saying I, it's whatever. <laughs> I, I think it'll help Kyler be happy, but I don't know. I uh, Hollywood's going to be a weird, weird fit for them, other than being a speed guy or a slot speed guy. So thinking about what comes next, when I went back and watched, or before I watched, before I went back and started digging through this stuff, I was ready to have a conversation about whether it would be smart for the Cardinals to give Kyler Murray a contract that's probably going to be in the fifty million dollar a year range. Now that that number exists. These guys that are up for these deals are probably going to be getting contracts that are right in that range because of what Roger said. Even if it's 45 in the Josh yeah. Allen range, it, it doesn't really matter. Five million bucks a year, who gives a shit? After watching him, there is no ambiguity to me. He's 100% worth it. I mean, yes. the, his highs and what he can do, you just don't find guys like that on walking around. He is so, so talented, and just the ball placement on some of those holy shit type plays, there aren't that many guys that can play the position like he can. But now if you do that, and you give him that contract, which I assume they're going to, DeAndre Hopkins is set to make $31 million next year at age 31. Oh, my God. DJ Humphreys, their left tackle, is getting free agency next year. They don't really have a team. No. So no. you now you just have Kyler making this exorbitant amount of money, and you th- you're the most expensive players on your team are Kyler Murray, 31 year old DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker, who's great. That's yeah. that's totally fine. James Conner is set to make 10 million. Zach Ertz is making 13 million. That oh that's God. and then Marquise Brown is making 13 er, million. Ertz is year. making the same amount as the tag. It's a tight end tag. Yeah, that so that's your team. He's Ertz is not good anymore. By the way, against man, he's he's brutal. He 29th really well. in the league last year, I think Kyler was against man coverage in EPA per dropback. 29th in it's, the league. It's yeah. It, when, when Ertz, Ertz is Ertz is, doesn't beat man. That's an issue too. That that leads into I know it, it's hard because it's like I, I agree with you. I even in my article I said I I I know I've been negative in this article. Kyler is good. Like <laughs> don't get me wrong. Kyler is like you win with like this guy wins you games, and we saw him truly win these games. The offensive line, they, their first pick in this in this draft was in the second round, and that was another receiving tight end, like a guy that's basically going to be an Ertz replacement, which didn't make sense to me. It was uh, that it's it's a very frustrating team. It's a team that I can understand why Kyler is getting frustrated because I think he sometimes he looks around, he's like, I got thirty four year old AJ Green is going to be my number one receiver <laughs> for six weeks. Like that's not really a winning formula. Pretty much every single major addition that they've made over the last 14 months, 15 months, going back to free agency last year, last March, have been guys in their 30s. J.J. Watt, Rodney Hudson, A.J. Green. And that's fine Mm -hmm. if you're trying to finish something off. And it's like, all right, this is it. And I assume that's where they thought they were. I don't think that's where they think. that's. I don't think that's where they are. I think they're kind of starting over with Kyler as the centerpiece now but you just don't have many other guys that are in step with him as young ascending players. They, they don't really have any. Mm-mm. It's just such a strange hodgepodge of a team. So I t- remember we I, were trying to list off the blue chip guys we were yes. talking about. And it was like, I don't think how many on offense that we named outside. You know, the offense is I mean, the offense. There is none. 
it's, I mean, they're it's, it's Kyler. That's they've it. committed to they committed to Ertz. They committed to James Conner, and yeah, it's such a strange team. I, I just really don't know what they're going to do. It just feels like they're going to have Kyler making all that money next year and kind of maybe going to be in rebuilding mode in terms of the roster. I think they'll win enough games where Cliff yeah. maybe keep, probably keeps his job this year, but the roster construction it feels like they're closer to the beginning than the end, and now you're going to have a quarterback on his second contract. It's very strange order yeah. of operations, even if I think they have to do it. Yeah, and I mean, they gave time and Cliff extensions, too. I so, I mean, that's what it, it really does. It seems like they're back in 2019 when they took Kyler number one overall, but now Kyler's going to be paid, <laughs> paid what, $35 million more than he was as a rookie? Like $40 million more than he was as a rookie? And that's that's three, four starters worth of money? Yeah, that is uh that's what happens when you draft linebackers two years in a row and you draft a receiving tight end the second round and you never draft offensive linemen for whatever reason. Yeah, it's it's building a fantasy team fantasy team with thirty and over filler players. The youngest they have one guy, I believe, on their offensive line, slated to start along their offensive line under the age of twenty eight. One. It's just with Will Hernandez, who they signed for a million dollars in free agency this year. is 26 years old. DJ Humphreys will be 29 by the time the season ends. Every other guy, Justin Pugh is 31. Roddy Hudson's getting old. Calvin Beecherman is in his 30s. There aren't ascending young players. And Rondell Morris, I mean, they took in the second round last year. And what's his role going to be? Right. They're using him as like a as like a check down guy, which, which was fun. That was one of the what fun things team. I did like about this offense was chip, they use Rondell Moore as a chip check down guy instead of like a big tight end. So that was, that was one tweak I did like. <laughs> what a weird, weird team. All right. Speaking of weird offenses, let's get to Lamar and the Ravens. Just let's trace what the trajectory has been over the last few years. You yeah. alluded to it at the beginning of the show. 2019, the Ravens are the most efficient at passing offense in the league by a mile. Oh, yeah. By a mile. Okay. 2020, 11th in EPA per dropback. Good. They're good. a good offense. They're, good. they're plenty good enough for you to win. 18th in 2021. It wasn't terrible. You know, there isn't this cratering, but it's definitely a downward trajectory that is concerning. Yeah. I want to get into maybe some of the causes of that and, and some things that you've noticed over time that may be contributing to why that's the direction things are headed. But uh, let's start with the good. You know, when this offense was really rolling, you know, for times in 2020, even they, they were pretty good over the first half of last year. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure he was, you know, 10th in EPA per drop back over the first half of last season. And it looked like he was really making strides as a passer. When things are going right for this team, what do you think really stands out about Lamar as a passer? As a pass, just hit, oh my God. One, one thing with Lamar, his arm strength is excellent. Like he is, he makes it look effortless. Oh my God. That ball flies out of his hand. It um, explodes out of his hand. It, it really, really, really does. does. It's cool. It's really cool. When he drives on throws, even when he's throwing a deep ball, like he'll be flat footed. And I think will launch like 65 yards. <laughs> it looks fake. It really does. This, this offense, it, it's, it was a, it was a double down or a uh, confirmation how much it runs. It goes through the run game. And that yeah. is including their pass game. Uh, but, when it's when it's cooking, it is it's extremely hard to stop. All the motions, uh, the run game, Lamar as a runner, Lamar keeping the ball, keeping you know they keep defenses honest. That is where the strength of this offense comes from. They make the defenses have to play their rules. Um, NFL defenders will play their rules, but they'll go rogue. They'll go rogue because they're 
freaking good players. But that's what the Ravens will punish. And that's what they do the best. The thing is, and you're talking about where, where things went well, that Colts game is one of the best QB performances you'll ever watch uh, from 2021. Lamar versus the Colts. I know the Colts were playing like their A-string DBs by the end of the game. But it's it's a when you want, want to watch an NFL player take over a game, that was Lamar in that game. Uh, but the thing is, when you look at the whole season, how much just dropped off. I know you want me to talk about the positives, but shining on the negatives kind of leads to the positives, I guess. Uh, but their play action stuff is great when everybody's healthy. This team, no team lost more games or starters starts, adjusted games lost from football outsiders in their whole database than the Ravens did in 2021. That's what you always have to remember with this team. And some of the blemishes came through the run game because they lost their first three string, their first through third string running backs this season. You know, Ronnie Stanley was banged up throughout the year. They're starring Andrew Villanueva, uh, just banged up offensive line. They reconfigured that. But there are still times where Lamar is a thrower when he is he's best on crossing and over routes, when guys are on the move and he has Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews was a phenom last year. They have a great chemistry together. So getting those guys on the move, you can really – uh, they can tack down the field and then use Lamar as a de facto check down. One little tweak, and I tweeted this, was I noticed that when they just do a straight drop back with Lamar, they don't even have the run back, running back check down over the ball anymore. They just have him block. So he, he'll he read the play out, and then he literally is his own check down. Then he goes, ah, I don't like it. And then he already has like the running back already seven yards upfield, like as a fullback for him, which is kind of cool. Like that's tweaking and adjusting your offense to your player's strengths. So those are the good. I'm holding off on the bad because there was a lot of bad and <laughs> and that's going to be more of a some schematic breakdown as well. So let's get to the bad because I do. Yeah, think that, I, I do think that it's all connected because those it crossing is. routes that you mentioned, those are unavailable to them at times last year for a variety of reasons. And I think that's when you can see stuff start to deteriorate. And we'll get to the run percentage and everything yeah, else. Yeah. But what when things started to, again, erode a little bit, yeah. what do you think were the signs of that in your mind? Yeah, well, it was good. When, they, they, when Lamar's best year was 2019, uh, when he was an empty, no one has generated more EPA out of EPA formation or out of empty formations than Lamar in 2019. 64.7. And the next highest was Deshaun Watson in 2020, just under 40. So he was not just better than everybody else out of empty. He was significantly better because what they would do is attack down the field. And like I said before, use Lamar as his own, his legs as his check down. In 2021, he, that EPA generator was 5.5. That's 41st out of 87 qualifying quarterbacks. It, when they got to empty, which is about, they run about 20% every single year, teams started blitzing the shit out of them. And the highlight or low light of that was that Miami Dolphins game on Thursday night, but the cracks in the seam, sorry, cracks in the seam, splits in the seam started to come up against the Bengals a couple of weeks before. And that's a, this is a game I highlighted in my article. They would get into empty. And just because of protection rules, the defense would get a free runner off the edge. And that's fine sometimes because then Lamar would make the guy miss it become almost like an option play, either throw it or make the guy miss. But teams got smart. They got patient against it and they're making Lamar operate on time and they're taking away all the hot throws. Like the Bengals were dropping guys under the hot lanes. So they took away that first answer that's in a typical offense and Lamar was getting stuck. Like that was a huge weapon for them that turned into a negative really for them, especially in that Dolphins game, which was almost embarrassing. Every time they went empty, the Dolphins went, okay, here's cover zero. Good luck. We'll take it. Throw Because the Ravens just refused to throw deep out of it because they couldn't protect it. They didn't trust the guys to get open down the field. So that was a huge blemish. The average, like the league average to get pressured out of empty is 
Lamar got pressured almost half of his empty snaps. Almost half. So that means one-sixth of their plays, because if they run it you know, 50% of the time or 20% of the time, they're getting a pressure, which is not good. That's not how you want to operate your offense. You want your quarterback to hang in there and be able to operate. So that was the one thing. The other thing was man coverages was they were so much more aggressive uh, against them. Lamar is never going to be a timing thrower, but when you have injuries, lack of chemistry with guys, um, they would also, the Ravens, for whatever reason, they're running a lot of read routes, which I'll get to in a sec. But against man coverage, Lamar is never a timing thrower where he goes one, two, three, balls out. He bounces a lot. He's late and he overcomes it with arm strength. That can work against a crosser or a, bent, a guy on the move because you can throw it late, you can throw it out there. But when you're trying to run true one-on-one routes, like little outbreakers from the slot, that thing has to be out on time. Otherwise, the, def- the defender recovers. And Lamar, his man stats just dropped off a cliff. Like he he was, no one had a worse uh, EPA per draft back against man coverage than Lamar in 2021. Like period, since 2019, just period. He's 87th of 87 quarterbacks. So that is a huge, huge uh, problem. <laughs> if teams are just going to go, we're going to blitz you and run man coverage and you can't beat us, even with Lamar Jackson running around. That is where a lot of the negatives came. And that came from schematic design and Lamar's trust in the schematic design that Greg Roman was running. The, I was fascinated looking at some of the numbers. We're talking about he's not an anticipatory thrower. He's not really yeah. a timing thrower. By far the worst mark in the league throws faster than 2.75 seconds against man coverage last year just terrible every time you try to get the ball out quickly against those sorts of looks guys aren't getting open because he has no receivers all that stuff it was awful when he'd have a little bit more time it was fine but he didn't have that much more time because the offensive line was bad so it's it all starts to compound when you are a quarterback that needs a little bit you need to see those crossers come open and they don't have time to come open so it all started to fall apart. I mean, he was the second best quarterback in the league efficiency wise in 2019 and 2020 against man. My numbers that I was looking at, Zach Wilson was the only quarterback who was worse last year. Okay. That's it. Just Zach Wilson. And it's a huge drop off. And the other thing, teams just became unafraid. Yeah. I think that was a huge transition last year is that teams were unafraid of running man coverage and teams were unafraid of blitzing. No quarterback in the NFL was blitzed more often last year that had at least 250 attempts than Lamar Jackson. Yep. And the playbook in previous years would have been, ah, you can't really run man coverage, you can't really blitz because then they'll start Terrified. to gash you. <laughs> and now teams just aren't afraid of that anymore. And because he was so bad at it, they started leaning into it even more and more, and they just had absolutely no answer. So now what happens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all the coaches. <laughs> well, that's I'm, I'm genuinely asking. What, what do you think has to happen now for them to kind of come out of this funk this year? have to get the run game going again, which I, I know will come with health. And why I say that is because of play action numbers. And they're like, because of the repercussions of having a lesser run game and the play action coming up, coming off of that. And I know you can get an argument that you don't have to have a good run game to have a good play action game. It helps though. <laughs> it helps have a, a truly dynamic run game like the Ravens do because those numbers, like you just said too, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Man coverage, two man blitzes, that's what offense or defense coordinators are terrified of is quarterback tucking or running because all the defenders have their backs turned, yada, yada. Lamar had, uh, he had half the amount of rushes over 10 yards than he did in 2019. 2019, he has 48 rushes over 10 yards. 2021, he only had 24. And some of that comes when you can't protect, you can't get routes down the field. And if routes are down the field, defenders are down the field. It's just physics. And the quarterback has more room to operate when 
he's looking to scramble earlier, quicker because the pressure's getting there quicker. Defender, the defenders aren't deeper. He can't have, he doesn't have as much room to operate in as a scrambler. So again, this is the repercussion. So getting the play action game again, where you can have that heavy, heavy play action, your know, protection, really create a pocket for Lamar and get the routes down the field with over routes and posts and stuff on the move so he can see it and then scramble and use his legs as a check down. That is, I think is going to help them so much. And that, I think it's going to come a lot from having guys like J.K. Dobbins back, having an offensive line healthy, and improving with guys like Linderbaum as a first-round pick. That'll help them a lot. I, I really do think that. They getting getting Riley Stanley back to play left tackle. Huge. Signing Morgan Moses. They had they signed Juwan James last year. He's on this team. I don't know what they expect from him, but if he's their backup right tackle, it's not a terrible situation no. to be in. You drop Linderbaum in there. Kevin Zeitler is still here. They have a decent amount of players. They've also got a couple older guys on their offensive line with Moses and Zeitler. The difference is when all of these guys are healthy, they're good. Good. <laughs> like this good offensive starters. line is good yes. when it's all assembled. And you still have Ronnie Stanley's only 27. You just drafted a guy in the first round who's yep. going to be your starting center. There's enough young ascending players on this offense where it's easier to get excited about them. And there are elements of this where in the unstable environments like third down last year i think lamar was 12th in epa per plan first and second down last year and like 24th on third down that's probably going to come back to earth a little bit yeah where kyler was so good in those situations for a good chunk of last season i think that's the ravens are going to kind of come back to a level in those situations and now you have the guys coming back health wise it just feels like when the ravens settle they're going to settle as still a really good passing offense even if we have concerns about what the structure of it might look like Absolutely. That's I, I'm negative on Greg Roman and everything, but you watch it and you're like, I can see what you're trying to do here. I can see what you're trying to attack. And I think some of it, I think less is more is going to really help them. I think Greg Roman went nuts last year. And someone tweeted the other day, his like playbook from San Fran, him and Harbaugh. And he had like 800 pages of passing concepts or something Jesus. like that Four, 400 stupid amount which is, I think, is stupid. Uh, you don't need that. You you, you need a, a good significant amount of plays, but not that. That is just kind of showing off, going like, look at all these ball plays I can run. That's old school West Coast thinking. And I think when you have injuries to receivers and tight ends and and they were trying to do reading routes where they're trying to find space and you have guys running in the same exact spot, which is, if you watch it, I know it sounds like I, I'm making it sound like every play. It'd be once a series where, and that's where that comes into Lamar trusting it. Um, but the thing is, the highs have been there. We've seen this offense operate well. There, there, there's groundwork to build off of with this offense. I think they just got ahead of themselves, plus the injuries. So it's a double factor of like just a bad situation. Because I think just like you said, if it's just law of averages that they don't get hurt as much, that everybody develops how they should develop. Like I think they're just we're going to reach more about that 2020 level. Um, maybe not 2019, but that 2020 level as opposed to 2021 level for this Ravens yeah. offense. But if they're the 10th best passing offense in the league yeah. and their running game is good again and their defense is as good as we might expect it to be, that's a potential contending which, team. Which is all in the realm of possibilities. That's yes. not like some outlandish thoughts. <laughs> and I, I'm with you because we have so much evidence that says your running game doesn't have to be good and you don't need to run the ball all the time yeah. for your play-action game to work. But there is a case where their play action game was bad in the second half of last season. Bad. Actively bad compared to being really, really good over the last couple of years. 
and it wasn't even they were really really good over the over 2019 and 2020 they just did it so much that they generated excess value from it and they started doing it less i mean i think their early down play action percentage dropped by like 15 percentage points in 2021 from what it was in 2019 and 2020 combined they were number one in the league and so when you start to remove the jenga pieces from what the offense is even if on a general level rushing success and rushing volume doesn't necessarily lead to play action efficiency it just feels like you're taking out the essence of what the offense was supposed to be, and then everything else starts to crumble around it. That's what it felt like to me last year. That it, it's not a, cr- I don't want to say crutch, but which is, I'm not saying crutch in a bad way, but it's like, that's something they could lean on as an offense. It's like, okay, every, hey, this game plan you play didn't work for us, but hey, let's just get to our play action game because we know Lamar's comfortable with that. We can protect it up. But when you take that away and you are maybe not the best drop back designer in the world, that's going to be really hard on your entire offense. The 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 stat that was just stark to me, and I know I've just been stat boy this entire episode, but EPA versus five plus pass rushers. He 2019 and beyond, it's Lamar was fifth best and the four seasons ahead of him are Stafford last year and three Patrick Mahomes seasons. So pretty freaking good. 2021, he was 76th out of 87 teams against pressure or against blitzes. That is a philosophical changes from how defenses attack them. And yep. I think it they just they they lost that confidence. They you want to hold the gun in these situations. And I felt like a lot of the times the Ravens were like guessing. They're like, I think we can attack you this way. I think this is how we come after you, as opposed to dictating the game, the pace, the fill, the kind of how the tempo of the game goes. So hopefully, you know, Stella and Greg Roman can find their groove back, you know. <laughs> are you worried about I, I it's not even are you worried? Because I think it's we all are worried. What do you think they have to do to overcome or account for the lack of talent they're gonna have at receiver? Like what do you think is the best answer for that? Um, well, lean on Mark Andrews a little bit. Uh, they have to, just how we uh, bash the Cardinals for not varying up their looks, they have to vary up their looks and get the guys in the best spots. They have to make sure these receivers, or the receivers, not just with their talent, matches what Lamar likes to throw. No more square peg round hole situations like they did with Hollywood Brown, running him like on you know post-up routes on the outside, running deep digs on the outside. Get these guys in the proper spots. This is why I like Rashad Bateman, because I think he can work inside and out. But get these guys on the move to unlock Lamar so that these guys can be in best spots. Create yards after the catch. Lamar's not the greatest quick game thrower. He's be- he's a really good intermediate thrower. So get guys on those types of routes. Um, I think a very touchdown to check down type of offense will really help these guys. You look at the moves they made this offseason. Nick Boyle's coming back. They drafted two tight ends in the fourth round. I don't think that was necessarily the plan. You know, yeah. Eric DaCosta came out after the draft and said we probably would have taken a receiver if it presented itself that way. But the way that things have unfolded, even if they add a veteran receiver, the way that the roster is structured, I think naturally points back to them adopting a style and an approach on offense that yep. is conducive to success. Yep. Even if it's accidental that the team ended up this way, yep. I do think it, by definition, brings them back to a version of themselves that we want to see. It's yep. like I would line up with a fullback or two tight ends and just play action the shit out of people. And yep. you have a bigger, somewhat bigger body receiver in Bateman. You got a fast guy in Duvernay, and that's fine. Yep. Like that's that good. is the structure of the offense. And you live yep. with the running game and whatever you can do to complement that. And I yep. think that's okay, even if it feels like they're regressing a little bit back to what they were. 
you don't need to be different just for the sake of being different. Right. What was working was working really well. That's what I, I feel like they got too cute. Like I know the injuries happened, but they, I felt like they were like, oh, this is the next step for us. And really yes. it's like, no, get, play the hits, play the hits. We remember we talked about play the hits. And for them, like you brought it up, two tight ends on the field or a fullback on the field, like it really helps because the defense has to declare what they're worried about stopping. And if you have a great run game, I bet you they want another linebacker on the field if you're in 12 personnel. So if they have another linebacker in the field, and they're in base, that's going to make the throwing look so much better and so much space, better space. Defenses can't bring a ton of blitzes or they're not as exotic with their blitzes out base defenses as opposed to they are in sub nickel and dime. So that is just like you said, they might have stumbled in <laughs> to getting back to their roots, which is a good thing. Looking at the contract side of this, I think, again, it's a no-brainer that yeah. they're better off with him even paying $45, $50 million a year based on what he can give them and what the alternatives might be able to, especially when you've structured your offense and your roster in such a specific way around him. Yeah. I mean, they've the cat's kind of out of the bag there. There's really no putting it back, and that's okay. Like, yeah. This version of what they are, in my opinion, is okay. They can endure a pretty big contract for Lamar Jackson. They have $40 million in cap space. They're slated to have next year. They had all those picks this year. They're consistently trying to add like young ascending players to their roster. I don't even think it's a question. I think they should make it happen as soon as they can, and they'll be able to move forward with that deal and, and still be pretty competitive fairly often. He's a unique player, but he's a unique player that wins you games. And it's not a unique player at tight end or receiver. He's not Lamar just because he can run doesn't mean he's not a he's not a good thrower. He's a good thrower of the football. He's unique as a thrower, but it's a unique you kind of want. You want a big play specialist as a thrower. You know, that's kind of what you're going for in the quarterback position. But I agree. He's gonna have that unique play style. It's always gonna be worrisome about injuries, but I think he has gotten smarter about avoiding the hits. I know he got banged up last year, but he is pretty good. I have compared him to Wayne Gretzky at how he can kind of both of these guys, Kyler and Lamar, are yeah. really good at just Kyler does the drop, the drop slide, which is so cool to watch. I don't know how uh, it must be nice to be a good athlete. And, and, <laughs> and Lamar, knows it would take make, you 20 seconds to get down there. Uh, I hear my knees popping. Uh, and then, and Lamar like kind of has that way of making himself skinny. So, but he's worth every dime, uh, every penny you could pay him. He is a true game changer at this position. He's unique, but if you're going to build around, you want, you want a unique talent at quarterback at least, because that's, the position that's going to win you games and he can win you games. Like, I mean, just watch that Colts game. All right. That is all we got for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Deontay. Yeah. We're going to talk about some lessons that we learned watching some of the best defenses in the league last year. We did a similar show last year. I thought I, I absolutely loved it. I got a ton out of it doing the fun. research. So we're going to run that back with Deontay tomorrow. Very much looking forward to that. Quick bit of news. We are hiring an executive producer for the athletic football show. Uh, if you are someone with experience uh, in producing a national show of any kind, you can check out the job posting on my Twitter. Uh, we would love to hear from you. We have a really fun team over here, and I'm very excited to add to that team as we move into year three of the show. So uh, check that out if that applies to you or someone you know. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would very much appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show, where you can read Nate's pieces on both Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Highly encourage you to grab a subscription if you do not have one. 
VDA these stats in written form as opposed to me verbally butchering them. There you go. There a few of these are in there, but I, I try to I try to drop in a few more on here. They're available to you then. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you guys then. This was the Athletic Football Show.